0: God's Way, a series that takes us to the basics of our faith and the reveal of it in the day-to-day of this great life, the life of Christ. There's no greater life than the life you and I have been called to live. It doesn't matter about where you're at monetarily, where you live, the house on the hill, whatever it might be. You need to understand that we live in a very pampered Western civilization where they tell us that even the people that are of what you and I would consider low income, they are seen as wealthy people in most parts of our world. I'm thankful for America. I'm thankful for our country. I'm thankful for the church on every corner. I thank you that with all of its imperfections, it's the only boat that's floating, and I plan on staying in this boat until Jesus returns. So I want to talk to you for just the next few moments in this next installment, for those of you that happen to be married couples. In the course of a year, in our 52 Sundays together, I can't tell you if there are very many times that I actually take moments to specifically speak to marriage. I think that in a lot of different avenues and places in the church world, we hold that off for a conference or we, we listen to a podcast or we somehow lock into some sort of flow of books that have been written and that have been produced and there we are finding ourselves searching for what God would have us to have in the way of a marriage. Marriage for many people is a mystery. Marriage even after many people are married for a length of time, it is still a mystery. Can I get an Amen. Marriage is this wonderful, incredible, powerful, vulnerable thing that begins to transpire in the hearts and lives. Never do I stand at the altar in the front on the pulpit or at the platform when the couple is coming down the aisle. And I do this almost every wedding that I'm blessed to perform. I like to look out across the audience and you'll see the little 11, 12, 13-year-old boys and girls. Now, the boys today, they've got their, they've got their games on. The, the screen babysitter is already effectively keeping Johnny quiet for the duration of that ceremony. The boys are asking for, hey, did you bring snacks? They're looking this way, they're looking that way, they're fidgeting. But you'll notice the little 12-year-old girls. There's something that is so amazing about the little 12-year-old girls in a wedding audience. They are looking to the back doors. They're head high. They can't wait to see that which they know one day will be them. And to look into their eyes when dad begins to walk down the aisle with the bride and the veil And the music is playing, the groomsmen and the the maid of honors, the bridesmaid they're all there. The flowers, the candles, everything is there. And those little girls, because there's something on the inside of them that knows that's where I'm heading. Isn't it amazing from that point until the time when they come of age that they will be touched by a lot of disappointments? Some of those little boys that are incoherent to what's going on or the little 12-year-old girls that are there that with this great mysterious look in their eyes are looking at their destination. Many are their disappointments and things begin to come here and there at them. And little do they know that they're going to have to walk, many of them, through an arduous gauntlet to get to that place. Only to arrive at that place where they say vows They look lovingly and longingly into each other's eyes and they make vows and commitments. Some of them write their own vows. We pray, we ask God's blessing, and then they step into something called marriage. Matthew 19 verses 4 through 6 says, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh, so then they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Marriage. It doesn't just happen. Whether you're married today, whether you're looking to getting married, and you're looking to marriage, maybe you're here today and your marriage is in the season of a challenge. You may be here today. You may be going through a separation. You may have had disappointments in the past and it's beginning to wane and the emotions of it are beginning to leave because you've been looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. He's pulling you up and out of where you were and what it caused on the inside of you and and you're believing God for the future. Marriage, it doesn't just happen. It's not by accident. It requires effort effort. Just as swimming in the ocean doesn't make you a fish and sitting in this building doesn't make you a Christian, getting married doesn't mean that you will ever really enjoy a marriage. 2 Peter 1 and 3 says, God's divine power has bestowed on us everything necessary for life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. God has within His repertoire, if you will, His ability within His hand to give you at any time in your life what you need if you will look to Him completely and solely. You need to understand that in marriage, when you think about being married, when you think about buying a house and somehow wanting it to become a home, as you have children, that is, even though it can be difficult in and of itself, and every woman that has bore the child said, yes, amen, it's still far different than raising the children. From married to marriage, from house to home, from having children to raising children, it requires wisdom. It doesn't just happen. A talk show, even with a healthy diet, is not going to give you or grant you the wisdom. You must understand that it requires wisdom to step into a marriage. It requires wisdom to enjoy a home. It requires wisdom to raise children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. This is not an impossibility. It's there for each and every one of us. Wisdom is the ability to live life skillfully. James 1 and 5 says, if you lack wisdom, God, who generously gives, will grant it if you ask him for it. You see, God's plan for marriage was harmony. Harmony is the pleasing combination of differences. I often tell married couples that each one of you possess strengths and weaknesses. And his strengths will take up for your weaknesses and your strengths will take up for his. It's marriage. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. God's way reveals God's plan for marriage. Number one is to reflect his image. Genesis chapter one, let us create them male and female, and may marriage be for God's glory, and may the husband and wife come together to produce life. God's way reveals God's plan. Number one is for you in your marriage to reflect his image. Number two, to raise godly children. Genesis 1 says, be fruitful and multiply. Think about it. The God that created life has given his humanity, his creation, the ability with their life to produce life. Children, they're the blessing, not the burden. God giving man the ability to create life, the bearing, the birthing, the raising, and then the family. Number three, To establish and build his kingdom. He said in Genesis 1, fill the earth. He spoke that to Adam and Eve. As a couple, you need to know that you are to be co-laborers. Not warriors or foes against each other. You are to be co-laborers over that which God has given you the ability to create. Marriage is a powerful weapon for the kingdom of God, and that's why it is under such an attack. It's been under an attack from the very first couple that God said be fruitful and multiply. The first couple that he gave them the power and the strength and the leadership and the oversight of dominion, the enemy began to attack them immediately because he did not want anything that was found in similarity to God, and he began to attack it. Number four, to provide companionship. Genesis 2 said it's not good for the man to be alone. And I say a big amen. When I walk into my house and I think my wife's there, I can immediately tell you if she's not because the house, the casa, just does not feel the same when my lovely bride is not there. He provided it for companionship. It's not good for the man to be alone, so I'm gonna make a helper that's suitable for him. You see, God has placed a desire in man for intimate companionship. Two are better than one. If one falls, the other can pick them up. If one falls, the other doesn't put his head on her foot or vice versa. If one falls, the other can pick them up. If two lie together, they can keep warm. And can I get in a man from all the men in the house? One may be overpowered, but two can defend themselves. One of the things that I almost always tell couples when they come in to talk, and I I love to be an advocate for the home and sit and talk and speak into the lives of married couples. When the Bible says that the two become one, it's an amazing thing that takes place. We understand the principle and the concept. We've stood at that place before the the justice of the peace or a pastor or whoever it might be and they pray a prayer over you and you begin to walk this unified life. When controversy, when discomforts, when things begin to come against that union, they will turn on each other. And we're missing a key element in the revelation that if I can ever get couples to stand together when controversy or when disappointments or when hard seasons approach, the two of you will not only be able to defend each other, but you will be able to fight the foe that has come against you and you and your marriage will walk and can walk in peace. So as a married couple, when it gets tough, don't go at it with each other, but lock arms and remind each other, we are going to come against the thing in the name of Jesus that has come against the union in the name of Jesus. Married couples, if I can encourage you Protect each other. Pray for each other. Be accountable to each other. Be there for each other. Number five God's way reveals God's plan for marriage to make a new family. It's the blending of two. His home had the toilet paper over the top, hers was under the bottom. Some of them, you put the toothpaste tube out on the counter, you hit it and you catch some toothpaste and the rest is found everywhere. Some, you squeeze it, then you smooth it, then you roll it. I'm not gonna go into a poll this morning. The point I'm trying to make is you come from differences. Then you think about the menus that are in the home. His home had these four or five meals that they rotated through, went out for a couple, then they came back and they'll start somewhere within the four or five meals that they have. And when you get married, it's a total blend. The wife says, what did your mother make for you? Or in my case, Patty would ask, what did your grandmother make? And when I told her, she said, ew, we're not having that. (laughs) Especially when I wanted the giblet gravy at Thanksgiving. I wanted the giblet gravy and my wife who had never heard the word giblet, wanted to know what giblets were. And I said, well, you know the bag that you pull out of the turkey? I want a gravy out of that. And she said, absolutely not. (laughs) It's the blending of two, two meal structures and menus. I had never ever seen, I've told you before, I had never ever seen, I'd never held an avocado before. I had never, to my knowledge, tasted one. I had never seen one. But when we got married, my wife said, come taste and see that the avocado is good. And I could still see the plate as they were sliced up from Mama Hood. And you sprinkle a little salt on it, she said. And now, to this this day, now, there has to be a, a large bowl filled with avocados at our house. And when I get back from the gym during the week, I like to go grab the one that's ready. How many of you know the one that's ready? I stick that knife in, I slice it around that large seed, I open it up, I flip the seed out, I lightly sprinkle salt, I grab a spoon, I hold that avocado with such care and concern because it is so priceless. It's literally California gold. Just look at what you're paying for them before you take them home. I'm so thankful for Joy Mena, whose parents live down in Southern California and they have a large avocado tree. She blesses pastor when she comes home. Her son walks up with a bag and there's nothing like those Southern California avocados. I'm getting hungry for an avocado right now. What I'm trying to tell you is there's this blending of all of these differences. Some homes were constantly filled with yelling and volume. Other homes, the way mom and dad would spat is they wouldn't say anything to each other for three or four days. So what's worse? It's the blending of this man and this woman, this husband and this wife that gives them the ability to create, if you will, a hybrid of where he and she, she and he came from and they produce something that might have some similarities to their past but it's a total brand new creation because they've been given the ability to procreate something between the two of them child that is alive is only one of the things that you are given the ability to procreate. You can create a friendship. You create your union. You create the atmosphere of your home. You create the circles of friendships that you are going to run in and the circles that you're no longer going to run in. There are so many things that you can literally procreate between the two of you. A child is merely one of them. I find that a lot of couples have stillborn children laying all through their life because they do not understand what the incredible blessedness of the union is really all about. It's not just about a home on the hill. It's not about two cars in the garage. It's not about having 2.5 children, the 401k and all of the other. It's this mysterious, incredible, powerful thing that when you come together properly according to God's word, God's way, it begins to produce an atmosphere. You don't just live in it when you're at home. You feel it when you're in the car. You feel it when you're at the game. You feel it when you're at the gym. You feel it when you're in the community or at lunch with some friends or family members. It's an atmosphere that you live in one way or the other. Whatever the atmosphere is, you live in it. I'm here today to tell you that if you'll do it God's way, according to reflecting his image, raising godly children, to establish and build his kingdom, that you understand the the need for companionship, that you are to be the companion and vice versa. And then God has given you the ability to make a new family. The Bible says in Genesis chapter two, a man will leave and the man will cleave. The man must leave what's behind to cleave unto his wife. Now, this doesn't mean you're no longer your parents' children. It means you are to prioritize your spouse first. We are to always honor our father and mother and care for them, Scripture teaches. But one must honor or prioritize your spouse first. Because you need to understand, from a pastor's perspective, in-law interruption and in-law literally produce divorces. It's a thing. And so I want to encourage you as pastor to give you wisdom in understanding. Take care of mom and dad, but prioritize your spouse first. God's plan for marriage, reflect the image. Raise godly children, build the kingdom, companionship, and start a new family. Know this, the Father will guide you on how to go from married to marriage. I often say, and I'll say it here, having a marriage... And raising children God's way is life's two hardest jobs, but they will provide life's greatest rewards. So, as we step deeper into this thought this morning, you go to your mechanic for a tune up, you go to the doctor for a physical checkup. At work, you get a performance review. But marriage, it seems many times as a pastor, what I see is marriage is just kind of left to fend for itself. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If you've got the, the fortitude, you'll hang on. And as that last one hears the song, Pomp and Circumstance, throws the cap into the air, it's not long after that that the emptiness begins to speak and it begins to take over. And the relationship that the two didn't have all those years begins to really present itself. So whether it's the mechanic and the tune up, the doctor, the physical checkup, or the works, Performance review, know that your marriage deserves real focus. Here are some components that I want to encourage you to work on for a solid marriage. Number one is communication. Spend time talking, friendship, intimacy. I've often asked the Lord about number seven. You know those ten suggestions that are in the Bible? Oh, you, no, you would call them ten commandments, yeah. I'm around some people that think they're suggestions. But the ten commandments. Number seven is that there is is not to be sexual intimacy outside of marriage and do not commit adultery, that that sexual uh, communion, that that sexual coming together, that intimacy that takes place outside of marriage. So for years, as I dealt with young people for about 15 years, as Patty and I were student pastors, and then even moving forward in the ministry, I would find myself asking the Lord, now, Lord, you made us the way you made us. You put a desire in us to desire each other, And there's a safe way for mankind to go about this. There's a preventative way for us to go about this. Why did you tell us that this one of two or three of strongest urges in our life to know each other physically and intimately, why did you say wait until marriage? And I really believe just a few years ago that the Lord began to reveal this to me as I was asking him year after year, trying to find the wisdom in it. And what I began to see in the lives of many people that I spoke to and many couples, that because they were in the world, the world's way was to just find someone and then become intimate rather than spending that duration and that time getting to know each other so you can be married 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, And you can begin to have difficulty, and the reason why you're beginning to have difficulty is because a part of your house is built on sand in the fact that you never worked on marriage. Because let me see, marriage, sex, friendship, sex, friendship, sexual relations, When this begins to become the go-to, friendship is left to itself. And what happens is, if you do not possess, if you do not prepare, if you do not place the building block within the foundation of friendship, you will miss it later on in life as you begin to build the structure of your home and your family and your life begins to increase. So for couples that are here today, if out of that world, you began to engage yourself very quickly and you did not work on friendship. If it's one or the other, out in the world, the one is always going to reign supreme over the other because little do they know that after term and time in marriage, sexual intimacy can just happen because that's what God built within the male and the female. But friendship doesn't just happen. It takes work. It takes time, it takes effort, and it will be a priceless commodity. Now, if you've been married longer than 44 years, come up to me afterwards and argue with me. But until you can log years from the principles of God and understand that that's what it requires... You need to understand that you need to put yourself today in a place where you are receiving the Word of God so that your marriage can last the duration. The components that you must work on are crucial. Spend time talking, walking, holding hands, asking questions, and not just speaking, but then listening. Number two is consideration pay attention to each other. It's not about 70 30 or 80 20. Marriage can't and won't exist if you're only giving marriage your leftovers. All right, I'll I'll, I'll stop there for just a moment. I know one a couple of you want me to trot right through that one and catch another gear, but here it is. A lot of men that I speak to will find solace in some kind of affirmation and almost some kind of justification in pouring everything and their best into their work and coming home and requiring that home puts up with the leftovers, wife puts up with the leftovers, children put up with the leftovers. You need to understand something As men, the Christ in the home, according to Ephesians chapter 5, it's called the Bible, the divinely inspired word of God. There's a roadmap for your life individually. There's a roadmap for your life spiritually. There's a roadmap for your life when you come together in a union. And it says you and I are supposed to be the Christ in the home. We establish the rules of engagement when it comes to the home, just as Christ determines the rules of engagement when it comes to the church. So if you're a male, if you're a husband, if you're preparing for marriage, don't think that you can go out and give this 70% and give the home 30%. How do I do this, Pastor? It's by prioritizing the home and striking a balance. I was blessed the other day to speak to the National Honor Society over at VCS. Kelsey Trumbull invited me, spoke to a room in the science lab about 35 students. It wasn't like speaking or preaching. I was talking about Why the world is applauding talent. Make sure that you're focusing upon character. And that was the flow of of the the morning and that 20 minutes that I had to speak to them. And as I began to talk to them, and this relates to marriage, because here was the cream of the crop from VCS, the kids that were going to really set their sights on their their next step in their education. I could tell the, 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 the mode of the class and the IQ of the class was very high. I could see it in their eyes. And when the Holy Spirit began to come in the room, I made sure I said the thing that needed to be said, and I waited until he got there when I said this, if you really want your life, I said that to them, and I'll say it to you now, if you really want your marriage to succeed, meaning that not only the union between the two of you, but those of you that have been blessed with children, if you want your children to succeed, then you must, from the position of the word of God, establish a proper definition of success. So as married couples today, you must ask yourself, do I have a proper definition of success? After communication and consideration, it's compromised. True love is selfless. Then there's courtship. For many, it's a period of time that's designed and we live in it to win them over and to establish the relationship. But I believe that courtship is something that you should keep doing, the things that you did to win them. It's not a period of time, but it's a continual focus in your life. It takes energy and it takes effort. And if you might look over that one or forget that one, you can remember it this way. If there was more courting in marriage, there would be less marriages in court. You see, the number, the number of times The number of times weekly that I will ask Patty this question, and I love her response, I'll say it on the phone, I'll text it to her, I'll call her when I'm going to be away most of the day, and before we get off the phone, we've talked about what we're going to do in the way of having dinner, and we're going to watch this tonight, or we're going to watch that, and I'll say, hey babe, just before you go, will you marry me? And she immediately says, yes, but with stipulations. And so I've learned through the course of years after she's begun to say that, I've said to her, Write them out, sweetheart, and because I know the worth and the wealth of my bride and how priceless she is in my life and the life of my children and my family as well as this church that I tell her, babe, write it out and I will sign the stipulations because I want to make sure that you and I are together forever. There's a story of a husband that was really having some struggles with his wife. Some of you remember this. A lot of you will not have heard it because it was years ago that I shared it. But the husband was understanding and was really finding out when he came home that his his wife was going through this real depression and she was real despondent and she wasn't herself. So he talked to a few friends and found out this wonderful psychiatrist that was in town. And so he called and made an appointment, spoke to his wife, had to kind of talk and coerce her into going because he was just concerned about her. Really misunderstanding that she was the way she was because of things that weren't coming from him toward her. So they went to the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist said, can you step out for just a moment? And I'll ask you back in. And so he spoke with the wife for a few moments. And then he brought the husband back in. And he looked at the husband and he said, now, sir, I need you to understand something. You need to watch what's going to happen right here. And he reached over, grabbed the guy's wife, laid her back, gave her a nice, big, long kiss, brought the wife back up. She was like, "Whoa." And the psychiatrist looked at the husband and said, look, she's going to need that every day. The husband looked at her and said, I don't know what to tell you, doc. I can only get her here on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. (laughs) So you, you need to understand as guys, we've got to understand sometimes as the Christ in the home that we're looking at our wives and sometimes what's going on with them is because we're not there to meet the need that needs to be met in the way of the communication, the consideration, the compromise, the courtship. The point is, enjoy life with your soulmate. Care, concern, courtship. Care, concern, courtship. Care, concern, courtship. And last is commitment, Malachi 2 and 16. It literally says, God says, I hate divorce. Make sure you do not break your promise to be faithful. Now, I I know this doesn't need to be said, but I wanna say it because I, I want you always to know that I'm never throwing shade. I'm never throwing rocks at people. I have a church full of people in varied situations. I have groups of people that are preparing for marriage, young adults and adults, single adults that are looking forward to marriage in the future. And it's my responsibility to lay down these principles and these truths to be a refresher course to you and yours. And if you're in a hard time, if you'll look at these things and begin to apply them, I believe what God will help you and if you're looking toward marriage in your futures, I pray God's blessing, and that, that is a part of your life, I pray that you will begin to focus on these things and know that God wants to do something wonderful in your life by providing a soulmate for you. Why does he hate it? Because marriage is of God. Hear this, divorce many times, most of the time, is the result of placing circumstance over commitment. Marriage remains strong by giving God all the circumstances And this, in turn, will strengthen your commitment toward your soulmate. For many, people's motto pertaining to marriage is, I need to do what's best for me. When God's word declares, I'm supposed to lose my life if I really want to find it. Now, lest you you misread that, it's not lose my wife. It's lose your life to find it, okay? Why so important? Because in our world, we are surrounded by divorce and single moms. In this country, we have a real issue when it comes to commitment. Commitment. The key, commitment is dedication, first to God, then to your spouse. In our weakness, he offers strength. Be willing to be unhappy. Can you get this one? Be willing to be unhappy until you work it out. Minor changes make major differences. Catch this. Small issues left unattended will become big problems. They need to be taken care of now. Marriage, God's way. Maybe I could give you some homework. Maybe you'd like to write this down, put it in your phone, whatever the case may be. Bump him in the ribs and say, hey, write this down. We're gonna go over this this week. Philippians chapter two. Actually, it's verses one through four for the homework. It says, fulfill my joy. Be like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. I'd like you as couples to just begin to read this this week, Philippians 2, verses one through four. This is actually speaking to unity through humility. And the greatest of marriages is when the husband humbles himself to the point that he lays down his life like Christ did for his wife and his home and his family. And then he begins to create something beautiful like the church within the confines of his apartment, his home, or whatever the case may be. I'm here to tell you, you can arrive at this place and the word of God is within your grasp. You can download the app on your phone or your iPad. You can pull it up on your PC. You can go to a Bible bookstore if you can find one. I think there's still one in Fairfield. Pick up a Bible. You can pick one up in the back. You can go to Ephesians chapter five. Put your hands on Ephesians chapter five where it says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wives submitting to the husband that is in this position. And then in Ephesians 6 and 1, you will be given the ability to raise children, not according to God's wrath, but according to God's blessing. Ephesians 5 and 6, it works if you will work it. Fulfill my joy, be like-minded, having the same love, be of one accord, be of one mind. Homework for the week, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. You see, when Christ is in me and in my spouse, Christ isn't gonna argue with himself. As a husband and a wife move toward him together, place him at the center of your marriage and he will bring the two of you together in spite of your differences. John, if you will, I want you to understand something this morning. My wife, Patty, is the reason why we have a good marriage, a peaceful home, that I call every night when I go home my little vacation. Patty is the reason why we have awesome children and a great family. Imperfect, absolutely, but a great family. And I'm sure that early on when we got married, I was 19 and she was 18. If you would have asked me then, I knew everything. But I quickly found out as we stepped into marriage that I really knew very little. I'm sure that early on, home, with her mom and dad looked pretty good. But I can tell you as bad as it was in those early days as she was married to this young man who had no clue. The only thing I really knew is that I loved her and I wanted to spend my life with her, but I really didn't know what that required. Didn't have a clue. She was the glue, she was the bond, she was the strength, she was the security. Her toolbox was just completely full of tools from her mom and dad who had raised her properly. And I'm sure home most days looked real good. But she tuck it out. She stayed there with that young kid until he hopefully grew up. As I look back, I can tell you that we just held on to each other. And the result is that today, Patty and I, we're one. We are are one. We not only co-labor over our family, our children, our grandchildren, but we co-labor because we're, we're a team when it comes to Pastoring the people of God. Patty is the love of my life. I tell her I love when I head home from the gym. Hour and a half, two hours there. I already kissed her, said, I'll see you in a little while. On the way home from the gym, she's the first one I call, and I punch the button. I say, Call Patty Baker. And I always tell her, it makes my heart smile when I hear the phone say, Calling Patty Baker. She answers the phone, she said, what are you doing? And I said, ah, I'm just trying to put in a little work for you, that's all. I'm on my way home, I just wanted you to know. I walk in the house most mornings after I go to the gym. She's got my three eggs scrambled. She's got a half of an avocado, peeled, sliced up on one side of the plate. And she put a little patty on it by peeling a little nectarine for me and just putting it on the plate. And there's just a little splash of color. And I walk in, and there she is. I can tell you honestly, I've shared with you many times. My parents only made it about five years, and my dad really wasn't even home very much during those five. I remember two times him being in the home. And though I didn't have a good example of a mom and dad that walked properly and correctly according to the Word of God in marriage, I can tell you that in holding on to God, because I knew I couldn't let go of Him, even though I was just so frustrated at times over the, the couple that we weren't because of the husband that I was refusing to be, and I just was having struggles, I would go to the toolbox and there were no tools there, and man, what do I do? Where do I go? How do I learn how to do this? But I kept holding on to God and I held on to my wife and he made it all possible. And now in April, it will be 44 years, April the 12th. I can tell you. And honey, that's applause for you marriage, home, children, family. Just before we step into a moment of worship, catch this, will you? Don't settle for just being married. Do what it takes. Go to God in his word and build a marriage with God's help. Next, know what the plan of God is for marriage. And put in the work to arrive at the results of God's plan. And next, start now. Don't wait. Start now and begin to focus on communication, consideration, compromise, courtship, and commitment. And if you'll stand with me this morning, last but certainly not least... If you haven't as of yet, and you need, you, need to, you need to kind of pull this into your heart real quick. Just because we attend a, a building where our church meets doesn't mean that we're allowing God to attend to us. And it doesn't mean that we're allowing God to attend to our marriage and who we are and what we are. You see... You see, there, there's something that God's doing in this series entitled God's Way. He's strengthening. He's fortifying. All these different areas are giving, are serving. Now, today, marriage, because he, he he's preparing us for a work that only he can work. You see, you've got family members that are going to be, become so impressed because of the, the presentation of the basics of God in your life. They're going to feel the impetus of God and His Spirit when they come into your home. They're going to know that you're going through a tough time, certain times, but when they see you, it's going to be a paradox to them how you can be walking with such peace and poise as a couple when they know what you're going through. You see, in the church world, we, we, we've we been so close for so long. 51% secular people end in divorce. 50% in the church end in divorce. We, we've kind of just left this thing to itself. And it shouldn't be so. It shouldn't be so. It should be you and I as a married couple today standing there on our own right and saying, you know what, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is, we're going to let it go. We're going to come together with peace and persistence. We're going to make those minor changes because we know they're going to make major differences. haven't yet you'll stand at the front door when one by one your children will begin to walk out when they're preparing to get married and while they're walking down that sidewalk your heart will be cracking open and weeping because you would love to just dial it all back rewind the whole thing and raise those kids all over again I'd do it right now in a second because I love my kids home family for some of you that's so vague and so foreign but it's found within the mystery of God because it's something that God created it's something that God provides it's something that God will produce on the inside of you and you say pastor I don't know well what did James 1 5 say ask the Lord for the wisdom God I want to be the husband that I need to be for my wife that she deserves me to be it's not, well, I'll become the husband when she becomes the wife. Jesus didn't say, well, I'll become the Savior on the cross when you become my church. No, I'm going to allow myself to be nailed to the cross when I could have called for 10,000 angels to come and deliver me, but I hung there because I loved you that much. So somehow, some way, we've got to bring this home in the church. I've spoken with people in my office and said I had to leave this church, such and such a place. Why? Because my wife and I attended there for years. She left me and started going out with somebody else in the church, and it's just like nothing else matters, and the church is just moving on. What have we been doing? We've been walking away, backing away, stepping away from the truth of God's word, because there's a requirement there. Do you know the Paul said every day we have to die to our flesh? I, I know I referenced this. Forgive me, but it's so powerful. I told you that I love to run when I go to the gym. It's, it's the last hour that I'm at the gym. I love to run. I, at my age, I love the fact that I can just run. And I find, I told my wife, this incredible, mysterious thing. For the first 20 minutes while I'm on that treadmill, there's two voices inside of the same brain. Two voices. One voice is telling me, hey, you got a lot to do today at the office. I'm serious. Hey, you got a lot to get to today. You got you got a heavy counseling afternoon. You, you need to get out of here. You already ran a half hour. You've already run 15, 20. Hey, you do it every day. Get out of here and get home and get ready because you got stuff to take. You don't feel like it today. Friday, when I went to the gym, I felt horrible. I didn't know if I was coming down with something. I just, I felt horrible and I wasn't going to run and there's two voices inside of this same mind. And I went to the scripture where Paul says, I have to die daily to my flesh. The scripture that says the thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I shouldn't do is the thing I always find myself doing. How did Paul get that revelation? Because he heard the same two voices. Those two voices will speak inside of your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit when it comes to your marriage. Hey, I'm not going to do this because she didn't do that. I'm not going to go there with our communication because he won't go over here. I'm not going to lay this down because he won't lay that down. We go through this back and forth, but something on the inside of us, when we begin to understand the presence of God, the power of God, the purpose of God, the word of God, there's another voice that begins to speak. That's what the Bible says when it says, there's a war within my members. Where did the war come from? The war comes from the presence of your conscience. And until your conscience is seared over, there's a godlike component inside of us that comes from the hand of God, and it will be the wisdom of God that will speak to you. And people get themselves in deep crevices in life when they c- continually argue with that voice of wisdom. Continue argue, 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 argue until that voice of wisdom is no longer a voice in your life. And now you just run amok according to the foolishness of the flesh and its voice. When I give myself to the presence of God, when I dive into the word of God, when I lay aside the things that I know I need to lay aside, as men, when we become the Christ in the home and we were willing to make a sacrifice of ourselves for them, I'll tell you when you see your children walk down that sidewalk and you begin to see them live. Of all checks. No lotto could ever match it. Your children walking out the blessing of God that produced the atmosphere that you reared and raised them in. It's called marriage.